Exactly. Welcome to Soundcheck Flicks. We're at the Casbah getting ready to celebrate 35 years next month. So many great shows. A bunch of them are already sold out. Check out the Casbah website and get your tickets now. You don't want to miss out on the 35th anniversary. Uh, excited to be episode number what, Graham? This one? Yeah. Uh, 24-ish. Wow, crazy. And it's Christmas Day. Yes. <laughs> I woke up early, but glad to be here. Feliz My mom Navidad. was mad. Yes. We have a legendary crooner. I could say many things about this man. Robert adjectives, Alan Lopez. Adjectives. How the hell are you? I'm good. Christmas morning. Got everything I wanted. <laughs> Leal tide fires by the mistletoe, all that stuff. It's beautiful. You are also <laughs> yes. known as Elvez, which is not, uh, you're not an impersonator. You're a translator, tr- interpreter. Interpreter. Kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm interpreter. I love the story of you coming across the concept for this and how you went uh, to Nashville? Was Memphis, it? Memphis. Memphis. Excuse me. And uh, you, with some cassette tapes. And this is the beginning of the Elvez experience, how you just went to this big convention and performed for the first time as Elvez. And then it backfired, and here I am 35 years later. I love, I love how you <laughs> called it a con the whole time. People thought you were completely in touch with what you were doing, but it was a fly-by-night, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants. Make it up as I went along, and I was a brave young lad. There was press in Los Angeles before you even played your first show. But let's not even talk about that. We can talk about the Mexican Ramones. I want to talk about the Mexican (laughs) Ramones, too, of course, because such a legendary aspect of our local music community, the Zeros. What a great legacy. Um, Cool that I've been able to experience the, the reunion shows you've done and that, that legacy that continues. Um, you've been in films. You have one of your outfits in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No, the Smithsonian. Smithsonian. Right? Okay. Yes, yeah, so very. I'm part of American culture. I'm That's glad. amazing. And, and you it didn't all learn, started here in San Diego. You didn't learn to speak Spanish until you were uh, a, a 18, 19? We learned it in high school. Uh, my grandparents spoke Spanish, but a very common for second-generation Latinos was, oh, your parents saying we're in Mexico, America now. Let's speak English, and so it wasn't spoken regularly. I had bits and pieces, and learned mostly in high school. So, are you fluent now? Uh, no. No. Okay. <laughs> it's that, always a learning process. But I live in Mexico now, and I it's like being on Wordle all day long. You're in Mexico City. <laughs> yes, I just moved there, so it's my first. From year. were you in Seattle? I was living time? in Seattle. Yes. And, of course, you lived in Jane Weedland's apartment at one point in your yes, career. Yes, I've known Jane since I was 16, and when she moved out of the Canterbury, I moved into the Canterbury. You were 16 when you moved to Los Angeles? No, I'm when we first played. So how old were you when you moved to Los Angeles? I was 18, but we would go to do shows in L.A., so sure. from 16, but I moved in 18. I... Great. At 16, zero's going up there, and, and you played up there quite a bit because there really was no scene in San Diego. Correct, yeah. And many people thought you were a Los Angeles band, but no, San Diego Pride, four yes. Chicano boys from South Bay, San Diego, create this band out of an inspiration from, uh, your first show was Led Zeppelin? Did I read that correctly, maybe? Yes, at first the Sports Arena, yeah. And but then, my second show was the New York Dolls that seems at to be JJ's more... on PCH. Wait, and what place? It was, it was called JJ's. Okay. It was on PCH, and it was an all-ages club. And it was St. Patrick's Day, 1974, and I got to see the early show. My parents drove us, and to see the New York Dolls at 14 was pretty amazing. And Wow. 
crazy. Well, you're currently on your uh, Mexmas tour. Thank you for playing the Casbah, as you always do. It's an annual tradition. It was a great show. Tim Mays right? was crazy that night. I know he got what drunk. He, got, didn't he, he was. Whoo! The crowd surfing was a bit <laughs> yes. much. Phenomenal. It was a bit much. It was yes. a bit much. But yeah, good times. You're going to be playing with uh, Pat and Letty of the Schizophonics. Yes, my good pals. And we're and we're doing something for uh, the anniversary month. Uh, we're doing COVID Cola, a band we created during the pandemic. They came up. And stayed with me in Seattle, and we made a project of every day we're writing a song, making a video, and so now we're taking the songs and performing it live for the first time. So it's a I always love working with Pat and Letty. Nice. What's your Screamers tribute band? That's called I Love the Screamers. I love the Screamers. To the Screamers, love Elvez. So You've only like performed a, that a few times. Yeah. No, I really like doing that. It's yeah. Great. I think I saw House of Blues in here. You did it right. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. It's really good. Well, it is Christmas. Again, Feliz Navidad to all of you guys. So stoked to be here and talk about Santa Claus versus the Devil. Uh, Mexican film released in 1959. In some places, it's just called Santa Claus, right? Yes. Yeah. Probably wanted to leave the devil off of that. Mostly, it's just called Called, Santa Claus. But there is the AKA Santa Claus versus the Devil. And who was the director? Uh, Rene Cardona. And this film is a, it was dubbed in English and released for for American audiences and and was very successful I guess uh, both here in the states and in Mexico. But it is kind of an acid trip. It has a vibe. It has a feel. Uh, it's a very unusual film um, and something that maybe somebody would start watching and maybe stop watching. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's something I've I've definitely seen on in a bar. You know, that's one of those types of movies uh, for sure. But. I cried at the end of it. I will just say that. <laughs> I watched it, and I cried at the end. But what, what makes this film so important to you? Uh, just the surreality of it. It's like there's the devil, there's Santa Claus, there's robots, outer space, uh, robotic reindeer. Uh, <laughs> Only four of them. Yes. But I like there's a whole thing. It's like if they don't get home to the stable in time, they will turn into dust. Dust, and magician Merlin, and also taking Christianity and switching it. Op- scenes open with Santa Claus. You see his hands touching the manger and going, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and at the end ends with the prayer of the idea of for those who will believe will see, meaning they will see Santa Claus. So it's this whole mix of Santa and religion and Satan, which I'm always been dyslexic. So mixing Santa and Satan has always been a favorite right. of mine. Certainly appreciate you picking this film. It's definitely one of the uh, more unusual films we've had so far on the podcast and, and definitely fun. Like I said, I mean, to have an emotional connection to one of the actors, even though it's it, it's an awkward film. Right. I mean, and, and the way it's dubbed and all of these things that feed into it. But uh, the message throughout is, is one of good and evil and how you battle that. And uh, obviously in, in Mexico, Catholicism is, is huge, predominant, right? So well, Especially I mean, you- in that time. Now, not so much. But then it was very, it l- was filmed in 58 and the sets look almost like the 40s because everything's slower in Mexico right, right. compared to so people look dressed like 40 but there's introducing the idea of the commercialization because there's a scene of all the kids the glass window and their windows yeah steaming up the window yeah and that I whole idea that. and the whole idea of rich people and poor people and the rich people looking like silly people or they have it all and they don't even know it and the poor people being earnest and yeah good boys and bad 
That rich kid had a heart, man. All he wanted was his parents. parents he, yes. he, he could have been some greedy little they, bastard. That's what I was going to say. They played he, against the cinematic stereotype because typically the rich kid is spoiled and rotten and terrible. Yeah. And that kid's actually pretty good. Yeah. Like he just and wants, he got to see Santa in his dreams. Well, he just, okay, he wants his parents. How neglectful are these parents? It's Christmas Eve. And they leave him at home alone, not even with a babysitter. Yeah. They just straight go out and I got to get drinks with my friends. And, yeah. if you, and if you get bored, go play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> you get the feeling they've done it a lot. Yes. Yeah, that was pretty ruthless. But well, what... and all, well, but hold up. Even Lupita's parents, like her dad was out all night looking for a job on Christmas Eve. And, and he, he doesn't find one. No. no. I'm like, what kind of work are you thinking you're going to find on Christmas Eve, bro? Like. And his mom, oh, that's the other thing I didn't understand. She wanted a doll really bad. That was her, you know, her heart's wish. Her mom is sitting there sewing in half the scenes in the movie. I'm like, is she making her and a doll? That's, why can't that's you just make her a yeah. doll? Like, I didn't understand that. That was a Seems plot Seems to be hole. handy, mom. <laughs> and she just said, and mom, you felt for too, because there is a scene with, with the mom and Lupita where she's telling her that, you know, Santa, you know, everybody looks out for us, even the poor kids. But the look in her eye is like, I didn't get gifts when I was a kid. Like mom actually, you know, didn't have, didn't get so lucky and have a doll dropped on her step. Like you could tell she spent some Christmases without gifts. Yeah. Yeah. So. Lupita is saying things like, so that doesn't give gifts to poor children. And like the mom looking woeful and saying, do I tell her this now? Or yeah. don't, oh no, he loves everybody. Did you, did you see this as a youngster? Yeah. Originally, like in your, your household? Yeah. Like was this on a on television or on television? Yeah. Okay. Well, you could. One of the wonderful things I knew about living in San Diego, there was all the CBS, ABC, but yeah. you could get Mexican Station sure. Radio too. So it's the whole idea of For Channel Twelve. What yeah, was that? all the both. I miss those days, you know. And that's and that was a neat thing. I knew media of the United States wasn't Latino based or directed, but I know there was another whole world, and so I always felt. Okay, go, well, if not in America, I won't see myself. But I just switch the channel, and there I am. Or switch the radio, and there I can hear Mexican things. So. When you were a youngster, did you go down to TJ much? We went to Tijuana. Um, mean, the Zeros would go there looking for pointy shoes, old stock. Of, yeah, yeah, of course, of, of course. clothes <laughs> and all the 60s kind of stuff like that. We would go there once, and it wasn't always all the time. And I never had drunken moments as a teenager there, which I go, oh, that would have been fun to have. But... <laughs> Well, I had a question about the concept of Santa Claus in 1959 in Mexico, because that seems to be more of an American and maybe European thing. It's more about the Three Kings, I would think, at that time in Mexico. Which they still do now. The Three Kings is a bigger thing. Yeah. But Santa Claus, like Halloween, yeah. again, Satan, Santa, is a global commercial idea, which is, I think, the film was trying to point out, oh, the commercialism of that toys yeah. and when you can sell toys, why not any world? I mean, not to put the evil on USA, but every world, <laughs> well, commercialism it, always wins out. Well, it seems it takes a lot of guts to make a movie about a figure like that at that moment in Mexico when it's not necessarily something everybody believes in. You know, it's more about the Three Kings. So it's, I, I think that's gutsy on the part of the film director to kind of be like, no, we're going to do it this way. Like, Well, his enslaved children from around the world represented <laughs> plenty of countries yes. that don't actually celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Yeah. If you think about that. Yeah. 
He had free child labor up there in the Sky Castle. Sky Castle. Yeah, which was a whole nice sci-fi idea. The yeah. film, you living in outer space and his Tim and I home. have a question about, there's three Sky Castles in every scene, so who's living in, in those the other, other two? Ones, yes. <laughs> well, that's the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. <laughs> but then what is Santa? He lives in one of the castles. So is he the Father, Son, or the Holy Ghost? I think Krampus lives in one of those. Yes, Krampus. I really like that. Oh, and the Easter Bunny and we, the Easter we discussed Bunny. earlier. Uh, yeah, I think that's how it goes, something like that. And it was interesting, the internationalness of it all, because it was filmed in 58, and It's a Small World was based out of the World's Fair in 64 in New York and didn't get to Disneyland until years later, so it proceeds. And it feels, those very shots, small. I, I just imagine there being a little river and a boat and some naked guy on acid. Yes, walking oh, wait, that's, through that. It's <laughs> present day, That yes. happened recently. But yeah, you know, they are all singing little songs, all in yeah. native garb and all in guns, with guns, with as guns. you pointed at. <laughs> they're, they're heavily armed. I can't get over it. The, the Orient has a whole shotgun rack behind them while they're performing. And, and the Russian kids are straight up aggressive. Yeah. Like, you know, as soon as Santa leaves for Christmas Eve, they're taking over everything. Like, <laughs> the, their song is aggressive. It's kind of wild. Uh, the Mexican kids' performance, they do like uh, La Cucaracha. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. The English kids are doing London Bridge is Falling Down, and they never cut to them. You never yeah. even yeah, see I, them. I, what the hell was that? I expected <laughs> a bunch of toothless chimney sweeps, and they got nothing. They didn't even show them. Like. And I think uh, the American song was Mary Had a Little Lamb. Yeah, yeah and it's these two yokel <laughs> rednecks. Like, uh-huh. It's pretty. I do remember in elementary gear. school, first, I think we danced the Mexican hat dance and La Cucaracha. Those are my yeah. introductions to. It was very stereotypical. I mean, it's cringy when he cuts to Africa. Yes. And the are. kids are in loincloths, and you're mm-hmm. just like, oh, no, don't do this. And they did. <laughs> and they everything did. stands the test of time. Yeah. It wasn't that bad. Yeah, the Chinese kids were were a bit, you know. Morbid. I mean, at least they didn't like, <laughs> yeah, lots of things. They didn't dub it. They they left it in their original language. There was subtleties that made it interesting and not cheesy. Yeah, but it was there was a lot of cheese going on. Santa yeah, was no, amazing, though. His expressions of his face was always in a high. <laughs> and then the dubbing, the dubbing just adds a whole nother level of making it weird. Like I can imagine if you're a Spanish speaker and seeing it in its original probably translates differently than us watching it with the with this kind of awkward translation but uh, dubbing but anyway it was super fun i mean it definitely is the merlin was an interesting choice of i've never connected yeah, christmas but, with merlin, merlin before of all but things. Yes. and then merlin had like a pentangle above his yes uh, like the fireplace or he something did. like that Back and like to a, Satan. a demon or like the, yeah so he had well, some dark Dark magic going also, on. Also, when Santa comes up to get his GBH slash, you know, sleeping powder that he comes <laughs> to collect from him, he's like, see you next year. And I'm like, you guys live in the same castle. Yes. You just only come visit this dude when you need your, you know, your dosing your magic dust. Powder. And the disappearing rose was yeah. a new angle that you don't see another. Yeah. It was definitely and imaginative. He, he also had a, a blacksmith there. Yeah. That he went and got the key. The magic key, yes. The magic key that could unlock any with door. Tape, with the glued on hairy yeah. chest. <laughs> yeah. The, the, he's just hanging out with these dudes. Mrs. Claus isn't around. Yeah. No, but he has, a, he has an enslaved group of young children. Children from all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Nike. <laughs> <laughs> they were making shoes, weren't they? They were making a lot of stuff, a lot of guitars. I noticed they were dropping a lot of guitars in the bags all the time. That was pretty fun. 
and the endless bag, I you could see the hole yeah. in the car. <laughs> Just keep filling that bag. But pitch was hilarious. That the 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 devil that you see on screen through the whole thing and whispering in the kids' ears. And, and I like the concept because they show hell, but they show multiple devils, and then Lucifer is the voice, the head devil, yeah. and the other imps get called devil, and pitch um, is the devil who gets called on to stop Christmas. So I like the idea of multiple devils multiple. out there. You can't kill them all because uh, there's too many. They'll unleash some more. What Try. other notes do you got in there, Graham? Graham oh, no. watched this film five times. I did. Five I did. times. I, well, you know, you I didn't get to the get Blu-ray, did you? You just watched. Did you oh, watch I it do on have Blu-ray? I ah. actually got the Blu-ray. Was it, there extra outcuts or? There was a little documentary on there and a couple of extra scenes that got cut out. Okay. Um, but the the documentary is kind of cute, like. Uh, you know, Rene Cardona, Cardona, I'm sorry, was a really prolific director and actor in Mexican cinema. Like, did 127 films and directed 148. Like, wow. it's kind of crazy. Like, he, he did a lot of stuff and a lot of wrestling films, which, <laughs> which I love, and monster films. Great. Yeah, which are pretty great. Um, the, uh, I what you were just talking about pitch the dancing uh, kind of made me happy because he's, he's always doing this like crazy interpretive dancing kind of thing. <laughs> And I guess his name was Jose Luis Aguiar. Uh, Trotsky was his, the name he was known by. But ah. I guess he was a dancer. And, you know, more in the the kind of Buddy Epson, silly kind of style dancing. Not necessarily, you know, ballerina right, classical right. dancing. Yeah. Which is why some of his, you know, some of the moves he does on screen. You're, he's kind, kind of slapstick. Of, yeah, they're very slapstick. There's moments where he's almost falling over while he's dancing. and But it also is very funny. Like, it adds a whole dimension to this devil that you kind of like him, like, even though he's the bad guy. Everyone likes the devil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jose Elias Moreno, that's the guy that played uh, Santa Claus. Santa Claus. He had played Pancho Villa a bunch of times. <laughs> oh, nice. Very big man. Apparently. Yeah. 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 I read a little bit about him. They said he was a very big man. And a great weird laugh because he was laughing a lot as Santa is supposed to laugh like a bowl of jelly. But uh -huh. a lot of laughing that was almost evil, funny. Yeah, a little, a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A little maniacal. They, the, the music, we often talk about the soundtracks on these, and this one has a lot of public domain music because mm. there's a lot of Silent Night and Jingle Bells just reworked or done sure, through sure. orchestras, but it's it's a lot of those two songs throughout the whole film. Over and over. Over and over. But just dif different styles. Yeah, and if you look variations. at the credits, it says public domain. <laughs> it's like, hey, be saved on the soundtrack. Why in the American version they said a bunch of the actors were like uncredited? I was reading something about that. That basically, like for the American release, it, they were like not listed in the credits even, like hmm. the whole cast. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I don't know. There was also at a, when Santa's loading up. You were talking about the everlasting when they were loading up the bag. When he's heading out, they're talking about like Jupiter and Saturn and shit. Like, does he deliver to other planets? Like, yeah, it made it. Sound like it made it sound like there's interplanetary toy delivery going on, and I was a little confused about that. <laughs> the planet where Audrey Two comes from, maybe that's it. <laughs> so he, so Santa Claus goes down to Mexico City. He starts in Mexico City, and we kind of see him end in Mexico City when he delivers Lupita's doll. So, and then we see him cutting back to home because the yeah. reindeer are going to turn to dust. Yeah, there's a ticking clock of uh, I don't get back, I won't. <laughs> I there's a part that. about what will I eat and I got to get back to 
the third rock from the sun or wherever yeah. he lives. And the whole idea of my mechanical reindeer will turn to turn dust. To dust. And he's going to eat ice cream made out of clouds? Clouds, yeah. That's what he has to eat. <laughs> well, what was the devil going to do, Lucifer going to do to pitch if he didn't succeed? It was something to do with ice cream as well. Yeah, he, he was, was going to make him, him eat ice cream. Cho- or make him eat chocolate ice cream or something. Yeah, I think most of us would not think of that as hell. <laughs> <laughs> but for somebody down there, I guess, I don't know. They didn't want anything cold, right? Yeah. So he goes to Mexico City. He spends his whole time there. What, did he miss out on the rest of the world? Like, I was wondering about that. We don't see him delivering anywhere else. Like, well, that's where Pitch was. I mean, it was all... That's where the battle took place was yes. Mexico City. But remember Pedro up there, and they're trying to, to dial in where where these kids are on their little device with the, the eyeball that had very nice eyelashes, by the way. Uh, and a mouth. The, little, that, and the master the, eye. I love the yes. mouth. Yeah, the mouth that would talk, that could hear. It was almost the Rolling Stones mouth. Uh-huh. The teletalker. <laughs> yeah, the teletalker. Yes. Oh, I've got these names here. It's the earscope. Yeah. The he ear-scope. has the dreamscope, which is the bubble yeah. where he can watch their dreams. There's the master eye, the teletalker, and the cosmic telescope is the ear, I believe, or something like that. I don't know. No, they had the telescope. No, too. that's right. But they, the ear was like looked like it was on a fan. Yes. It just looked like a house, you know, house fan with the ear in the center. And I like that the devil could get into your dreams. Well, that's what's sweet at the end of the film when you realize that Santa just visited Lupita in her dreams and she wakes up and goes outside and finds one doll. Didn't she want two Larger dolls? Larger than here. Yeah, like life size. But she wanted one for baby Jesus, too, I thought. Well, what's up with, well, that was very sweet. What's up with all these kids' lists? Like when Santa gets the mail. And he's like reading through these lists or even the scene right before that, you see the little children writing their letters to Santa. And I think that scene's really sweet when they're cutting between the different houses and you see the little boys and girls asking for stuff. And these kids are asking for a lot of stuff. Like <laughs> these are kind of spoiled kids. Like I want a plane. I want a truck. I want this. I want that. But like, some were saying, I just want to see my mom and my dad or there's a funny thing. I want a baby brother. That was the one. And then Santa laughs and sends the letter to the stork. Yeah. Because <laughs> the stork lives there too. Yeah. Well, the stork lives in Paris apparently because it says uh, Paris yeah. on it. Yes. So, Ooh, so all the baby making is in Paris. Wee yes. wee. Oui, oui. So yeah, I've, I did find that funny that there was actually a third slot because apparently there's enough kids asking for little brothers and sisters that he had to have a whole third slot. The stork. Yeah. Were they incinerating those originally? Like, was the post office putting it, uh, they'd somehow get redirected to Santa's? Because the letters a, all come from what looks like it, they're putting it in. And, that's know, what I assumed it was. Them, a, and like, then it next they realize scene, there's nowhere to send them, but then they immediately somehow get sent to Santa. Yeah. It's a cavalcade Santa over magic. them. Yes. Yeah. They cavalcade and he laughs in the letters and go, oh. It's like a vortex between the post office and his. Yes his little delivery room again hell because that's where the fire is Mm -hmm. the interplace between santa and satan is always there (laughs) so the battle in in the mexico city is is pretty uh he moves a chimney on santa like it's pretty slapstick stuff yeah um santa shoots a rocket up his ass at one point up pitch's ass and a little cannon yeah and santa's climbing out the chimney and pitch shoots some fire up and singes his butt and so it's pretty much like that the whole time. Like it's pretty slapstick stuff. I mean, it's made for kids. I mean, it's just 
Yeah. Translation sometimes is awkward. But or adults like us to interpret it. What do they mean with all them guns? <laughs> just basically be good, kids. Be I like good. the scene where the whole family, because the devil has gone and whispered in their ears, you're the strongest one here, you're the strongest one here, and they're all carrying guns. And <laughs> When Santa's up the tree. Trip, yeah. Yeah, so near the end, our, our big moment where everything is hanging in the balance is Santa gets chased up a tree by a dog named Dante, that pitch six on him. Which is, again, Dante's Inferno Dante. reference of yes. hell. Hell is always lingering in this movie, <laughs> if you look. And Santa has lost his dosing powder. He's lost his invisibility flower at this point. And he's stuck in this tree, and he's crying out for Merlin and Pedro and some of the kids upstairs to send him some help. He's calling in the backup. And so that's, that's the big climactic action moment in this film, is Santa's chased up a tree by a dog. Well, fire trucks and police are on their way. And they're National gonna, Guard. And <laughs> the sun is about to come. And so, they're going to discover Santa. Yeah. And if the sun hits, like his robot slash vampire reindeer are going to turn to dust. Yes. Like, be, that's and he can't eat any of the food there, supposedly. <laughs> But he's, he's inches away from being discovered. And it makes me laugh that being chased up a tree by a dog is the huge climactic moment. You know, like that's the big John McClane, Hans Gruber yeah. moment at the end of Die Hard on the top of the skyscraper you know moment it's a dog up got a guy up a tree <laughs> i want to know who's eating the cookies then if so supposedly santa can't eat the food on earth well, we didn't ch- see any cookies and milk left out in this but film. just as stories go the uh right after that too that we talked about his sleeping powder and the stuff that santa, that santa has at his disposal i love where he shows up to billy's parents at the restaurant while billy's sitting at home by himself and he offers them the cocktail of remembrance. And it's smoking. And he's telling them all this stuff. Not everybody can drink this drink, but you can. Would you take that cocktail <laughs> glass from that guy and drink it? I don't think I would. It looks pretty sinister. Like, you never see him, though. You, you have to just assume it's Santa, but you don't. It's Santa in a waiter outfit because he's got a black sleeve. But there. you don't ever see him, right? You just no, see his hand. You just hear his voice. Yeah. But it's very sinister the way he's like, not everybody can drink this drink. They're too chicken shit, but maybe you guys could drink this. Well, look at them. They look like, you know, they don't give a shit about their kid. They're out having... They're partying they're on Christmas Eve. Like, yes. like, Ooh, what is this? We're <laughs> going to get roofied. But they do run home to him, and he, he does get his parents for Christmas, and that's very sweet. I found myself rooting more for the poor kid. I think growing up poor makes you root more for the poor kid than you do for the rich kid, but... Always. But hey, it was nice to see that the kid had a heart, and all he wanted was his parents. Isn't that all we want? He did. It was nice to go against stereotype. He was a nice kid. Lupita, though, she's great. I mean, she has that moment where she straight up steals the doll near the start of the film, and Pitch is going to get her, and then she just gives in at the last. She doesn't want to be evil. But she steals it without being influenced by Pitch. She comes, you know, he comes there when she has it and encourages her to steal it, but she puts it back. Yes. Cause she's did you good. ever steal anything as a little kid? I'm sure I did. Some but five I, finger discounts. I think everyone yes, did. Everyone yeah. Did. Yeah. I'm from San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the three little kids. The three little bad boys. We haven't talked about them yet. Ninos Malos, I think is what it says on the credits. Yeah, they, they destroyed the window. They of broke the, the window. The display. They and laid a trap for Santa, Santa on the rooftop. They were going to trip him and take all his candy and toys. And then they missed him, and they realized he'd been there, and they ran to their house, and they had... 
coal in their coal shoes. Coal in their shoes, yeah. Which was perfect because at today's holiday movies, they, you know, they wouldn't want them to get that. You know, they, even the bad kids learn their lesson and they get something nice in the end. <laughs> you know, even they get a participation rib, and that would be today's movie. <laughs> I love that those little assholes got coal. Like they were rotten through the whole movie. Like they even wrote him a letter lying about how good they were all year. Yeah. I remember like, he was reading that one. Yeah, and he, he, knew, saw, he, he, yeah, he smelled the bullshit coming off that letter. But I guess they were middle class because they were showing the rich people were rich and the poor. I like the poor house because it had a lot of shadows. It looked really sterile and they made okay, light from below so everything looks a little spookier. But yeah, I guess they were middle class kids and they were the bad ones. They got coal. So kids, yes. be good. Five times, Graham. Five times you watch this movie. I did. Is this the most you've watched any of the movies in our podcast so far? It is, because I was the most unfamiliar with this um. one. <laughs> did you cry at all? Did you get emotional at the end when Lupita got the doll like I did? I was happy for her. It was huge. The thing was almost as big as she, she was. Because yes. yeah. it was stuff with cocaine. <laughs> You're telling me the cartels paid for that? <laughs> well, and also her parents, their house was kind of crazy. They have like a... The Shadows. Uh, well, yeah, they have a tire iron up on the wall and, and like a watering can of some sort. There's just objects on their wall in Lupita's house. It's kind of weird. Like now the other houses, especially like Rich Billy's, that thing is that's a beautiful house. Their furniture was really nice. Yeah. Fireplace. Tree was kind of shitty, but <laughs> but the rest of it was really. Yeah, they had a nice fireplace. Like It was a big house and mom has her furs and like they're living life. And they all had their own guns. <laughs> Once again, everybody with the guns. guns. Yes. Yeah, it's just wonderful. It's just this very trippy. I understand why Mystery Science Theater did an episode with this. How many ah. times did you watch that version? I watched it twice. So, is that included in your five viewings of the no, film, or no? You've watched seven extra. times. Well, it was over the last five. seven. He watched this movie seven times. Well, twice we knew over movie. five weeks ago that we were going to do this one, kind of. So I've when had... I texted him and told him about Lupita and how it made me emotional, he's all, "You watched the whole thing." And I'm all, "Yeah, I watched the whole thing." <laughs> seven times holy crap you have a lot of time on your hands it's not a very long film it's only an hour and a half so but i also knew nothing about it you're I mean, watching it on your phone probably as you're doing other things <laughs> yeah. i would put it on in the background that is true <laughs> that is impressive yeah well visually it's super fun to watch it's just it's it's epic it's interesting it's surreal it's yeah, unusual. very surreal and um, especially ahead of its time yeah with the small world and peewee-esque you wonder if Walt all Disney these saw it. Yeah, I, I would, mean, he would have seen that film back likely. then, probably, I would imagine, and gotten some inspiration from it, you know? And still got to be religious in its intro of Santa setting up the nativity scene and the last thing saying those who believe him will see him, meaning Santa Claus and meaning Jesus. And so getting this, it got a lot of messages in one hour and a half movie. I like the meme you sent me, though, where it's Santa Claus suffocating the yes, baby there, Jesus. There can only be one. <laughs> there is a really sweet line where he says to the children, a dream is a wish that the heart makes. I thought that was really sweet. It's like halfway through the film. But I'm like, oh, that's the sweetest line in the movie, I think. Very cute. We did it. Well, Robert Allen Lopez, let's talk a little bit about your IMDb. Um, what, what films... Have you been in? Now, I watched a cool clip of you and Catholic Discipline, a band you were in, kind of a punky new wave band that's actually in decline of the Western civilization. Yes, with Claude Bessie and Frank, yeah. and uh, it was glad to be in that band. I played keyboards, and that's in that film. I've been in the film with 
my friend Allison Anders directed. She did Gas Food Lodging with John Doe and other films, but a film called Mi Vida Loca. And I play a DJ. I have a scene with Selma Hayek in that one. A lot of other scenes got cut. Um, I think that's it. I forget. No, you did mention the film from Australia. That oh, yes. Fags in the, Fags in the uh, Fast Lane. Tell us about that one. That was really fun. A lot of green screen work. I flew to Australia. I was in Melbourne to film that. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, that was good. Super cool. And you've yes. been on uh, To Tell the Truth? I've been on To Tell the Truth. I was a question on Jeopardy. I've been on, I was uh, present for, uh, uh, somebody. On some was, the, TV was the Jeopardy question recently, more recently? Or? Uh, no, it was, it was in the 90s. In I the was 90s. a question, yes. Um, would you ever play with the zeros again? Is there... No, it, I think I closed that chapter. Is there a okay. documentary coming out about the no, band potentially? No, someone put a kibosh on that. Uh, gotcha. so, right. But they filmed a lot of great footage. It might be used for a punk rock other project of footage, but they got a lot of great interviews and a lot of great footage. But alas, a kibosh was put on the whole gotcha. project. I got a question for him real quick. So you're a big Christmas person. You do these Christmas shows every year. Christmas, tell us what Christmas means to you, because clearly it means a lot. Uh, well, not to break the fourth wall, uh, Elvis loved Christmas. Okay. So being Elvis is also part of doing that. So I appreciate Christmas. Um, I love it when I'm home and having a Christmas tree, but I'm always on the road at Christmas time. Um, I think I like the idea of what I can give to other people because Christmas, it means so much to me. Um, You're giving joy to people yes. at Christmas time. That's the number one thing you can give. I am answering their dreams that their heart makes. <laughs> <laughs> the wish that their heart makes. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I appreciate Christmas and I have all the trimmings. I have 10 Santa outfits and, Ten Santa and outfits. decorations in a box in the attic and stuff like that. And I appreciate Christmas, but I am not that person who loves Christmas. Although I love making it for you. You have to years? give, to, you take away the magic when you give the magic. How many years have you been doing the Christmas tour? Oh, over 25. And when did the I, Christmas album come out? Has it been out I, that long? Or? It's, it's, there, I have Four. Four, yeah. I, <laughs> What's it's the most all recent a blur release to me. from Elvis? Uh, oh, I guess it's been. I did, did a single, a, a single of Liz Renee's with the schizophonics. Yeah. Like whenever I is that on sympathy or that was on sympathy, yeah. So nice. that was the last, but I. It's all a blur now. It's sure. just product for you. I, I could only imagine. I mean, dude, you were there at the punk renaissance in Los Angeles when it was happening. You're playing with. Germs, X, all these bands. You were there. Yeah, like, no. There as a young man. And that that's exciting. What is one of the most exciting memories from that time period? Just being young and fresh. Uh, I guess just our first show. Our first show was in in Los Angeles was the Germs first first show. And the damned came to see us. We played and we played with the weirdos who were fantastic and bomp records said oh you guys are great would you like to make a single with us so to be 16 drive up to do your first show be well received get offered to make a 45 
drive home to be in school the next morning <laughs> as a 16 year old boy who just and everyone who would go on to make the bags or every other band sure. was at that show right. and became lifelong friends and it was a pretty great lucky experience we touch him it's like the the kevin bacon thing we're like <laughs> so close to just like every aspect of punk rock just by sitting next to this man no it was a lucky time a great time to experiencing it all and punk rock changed so much but it was a place for queer it was a place for women and people of color it was just changed later into hardcore which was a different thing but it was so many opportunities and it wasn't in a frame yet of what we could be and what we could make and tons of possibilities. And to be doing that at 16 was pretty great. And now, I don't want to ask how old you are necessarily, but that's 63, decades. 63. <laughs> so it's a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. And to still be performing is a great thing at 63. I love that you have kind of re-embraced San Diego over maybe the last 10 years in many ways. I feel like you're here so much more. I feel like that has a lot to do with Pat and Letty of the Schizophonics. It's really neat to see your connection to this community, this town, and the people that are a part of it. And I'm very grateful for that. Oh, Thank I you. am too. I and mean, when we were 16 and 76, there was no scene. Sure. There was no clubs. Our closest punk rock friends were Chip and Tony, but they lived all the way in Carlsbad. So like that was, in 16, we didn't have our own cars. We had to borrow cars or have our parents drive us to shows. Sure, sure. So it was a completely different situation. So there was no scene. But now San Diego scene has grown so much and I have so many musical friends who we will make band projects for someone's birthday. Right. For right. an opening of a club to entertain ourselves and we will work, borrow, play with each other. And to me, that is such a great feeling of a community. And Pat and Letty, I would say, are, and the Casbah yeah. is the great cornerstone of that, of people working and living together. And the scene is so big, because like when you're in the San Diego Music Awards, you go, who is that? Who is that? With the San Diego Music Awards, there's so many people up for other nominations that we don't even know. So as we know, besides our friends who are up for a nomination, there's another whole world of music out there not pertaining us to San Diego. And to me, that means vibrant, alive, and there's more than you could know, which is always a great feeling. Have you ever won a San Diego Music Award officially? I grew a Lifetime Achievement Award, yeah. which was years ago in Joan Jett, made a video montage and said thanked us and John Doe went so it's like yeah it's you know you're over the hill when you get a lifetime achievement award many come, years ago many years ago <laughs> how come the zeros aren't in uh, up in smoke did you have any chance uh, to be in up in smoke and that mm, that that bit with the dills were in it an interesting for us being the zeros we lived in San Diego and were part of the scene in LA but we didn't live it daily sure so we had time to go home and think about it or we didn't get to get messed up in drugs because we still lived at home with the parents. It was like if punk rock was a 24 party scene or being at the last, every latest show, we couldn't do that. We were just weekend warriors because we were still in high school. Yeah. And so the idea of knowing, oh, we need extras for up and stroke or something, we were not always in the complete gotcha. loop. And this was before we didn't have cell phones. You know, yeah. someone had to call your parents' house to say, oh, can you Do you play? have a cell phone? Yes, I love You said you were uh, technologically, uh, you're, you, you, you don't, uh, do you build your own website? Do you do all your own no, stuff? No, don't do that, yes. But yeah, you have back, a team. 
Yeah. Mm, friends. <laughs> you got to have friends. I have a question since it's Christmas. Do you have any other favorite Christmas movies that that like you go to every now and then on Christmas or every year? Mm, I do not. Uh, okay. I do not. Okay. You still have not seen A Christmas Story? I've never seen. I've seen clips of it, uh, but... Do you, you, Tim Piles, do you have any favorite Christmas movies you watch? Um, more like the animated ones. <laughs> like Rudolph and the Claymation? I, I love one? The Year Without a Santa Claus because I'm really into Heat Miser and Snow Miser. Yeah. <laughs> that bit alone. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I bought the uh, Hallmark uh, decorations for my Christmas tree. And he spins. They spin. Like Those in the scene great. when they're dancing. It's amazing. I love Gremlins. Yeah, Gremlins is. I mean, Christmas my, Story. That's always that's the one in Christmas Vacation is a lot for the yeah. the Gen Zers and the Millennials. And is like Grem? That. I remember those scenes from Gremlins. Yeah. Is it all in the day of week of Christmas? It takes or place on Christmas Eve. On Christmas, yeah, Eve. leading up to it, and mm-hmm. then the big scene and all of that is all on Christmas Eve. Yeah, so that, that's kind of my go-to. I I feel like you know, there's the whole die-hard argument about whether that's a Christmas film or not, and and it applies to Gremlins as well. And it's like it takes place on Christmas. And if you watch it every year and it's a part of your Christmas tradition, then it's a Christmas movie. Oh. That's that's how I feel about it. So if you watch Die Hard every year, then it's a Christmas movie. I went to see it the other night in the Dolby Cinema and it was fantastic and I loved it. And it is I that's when it kind of really dawned on me that yeah, if you watch it every year, it's a Christmas movie. And man, you've got to watch it because Bruce, come on. Got to send some love to Bruce, some positive energy to Bruce. He's he's uh, deteriorating quickly, so that is that. But Elvis is killing it. Going to be touring the I'm world. I'm deteriorating slowly. You have a restaurant also. Well, you don't have a restaurant. You have a restaurant named after you still? Is that still I, it's out It's a licensing deal I have. I've worked with them. We just I was just there for the 20th anniversary. Wow. So it's been that long. Uh, in Philadelphia, the Elvis, there's also one in Manhattan, and there's one in Fort Lauderdale. So I've oh, wow. performed... DJ'd, done events at all three of them. So we've worked together. It's, uh, and so is it, are these loaded with memorabilia from you or anything? It's not. It's a, they're high-end Mexican restaurants and very good, but it's not. they're not shrines to Elvis. No. They're just there, named after me. Where is your Graceland? Uh, my Gracias land is under construction in Mexico City, which I'm going to be slowly... What, what prompted you to do that? I mean, you're you're I mean, you're Mexican American. You learn Spanish so late in life. It's not something spoke spoke in your house, and now you're just you, are you just feel so connected to the community, the culture, and you want to be there. In the early '80s, I used to run an import business. I used to import Dia de los Muertos stuff in the '80s, wow. which is a long time ago. Yeah. It wasn't very as popular here, and so I used to know Mexico City like the back of my hand. Every art store, hardware store little club, nightclub, everything. And then within the last two years I went there and I had five great friends, Alice Bag being one of them had moved there. Uh, friends from the 70s, 80s, 90s, different periods of my life had all moved there and I went to visit them and I hadn't been there in 35 years and I'd forgotten how much I loved the city. And I said, I'm going to try to make a wow. change and that's what I'm doing now. And it's a wonderful city. It's like Paris, uh, New York, and Mexico all combined. It's very international. It's a world-class city, and it's wonderful. And, you, you know, as things pop into my head, and I'm, I'm remembering stuff, you worked, did, did they call it the Rock and Roll Hyatt? What was the Hyatt? Uh, yes, I did, the Hyatt on Sunset. Now it's something else, but that was but the Riot House. That the Riot, Riot House. House. Much that debauchery was happened. The Led Zeppelin, Zeppelin story. Yeah, exactly. 
But you worked there. Yeah, no, I worked there in the early 80s, like 80, 81. For a couple years, my sister Rhoda lived, worked there too. And that is where I met Little Richard because Little Richard was staying there for like two years. So I would talk on the phone with Little Richard every day for two years because wow. he'd always get room service. And one of the greatest honors, because I had done shows with him as Elvez in big festivals, but I was far away that I didn't get to see him. Right. And so one festival in Gijón, Spain, we were booked in the same hotel. And so in the lobby, I walked up to him and said, Mr. Richard, I don't know if you remember me, but I used to work at the Hyatt. And he goes, ah, Little Robert! And gave me a big <laughs> hug. And he had all his still workers with, you remember Little Robert Room Service? And he goes, tell me who's dead, who's alive, tell me all the rumors. <laughs> and it was just such a pleasure that he remembered me. But yeah. him calling me Little Robert was which made me and Letty and Pat do the Little Richards because we were all little somebody, but it was a tribute to Little Richard and playing with him a few times and for him to even remember me was just such an honor. And The epitome of yeah. rock and roll, man. Yeah, oh, that no, guy he, he is, is yes. That documentary about him is is just phenomenal to, to see what he went through and that whole period of him being religious and then coming back from that. It's just what a great story and, uh, and phenomenal. Yes. Um, and again, we get to touch him uh, <laughs> one degree from, from Little Richard. Well, Robert Allen Lopez, thank you so much for this. This is ridiculous to sit here with you and just talk about these things randomly. On Christmas morning. On Christmas morning. Yes. I hope we gave people uh, some insight into the film, Santa Claus versus the Devil, and more importantly, into you. And you're, you're a treasure. We just are so lucky thank to have you, you part of this community. And uh, Merry Christmas. Feliz Navidad. Hail Saint Santa. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, anything else to add? <laughs> no, you were number one on our list when we sat down and we were doing this podcast. We wrote down the guests we wanted, and ahead of John Reese and Justin Pearson Aww. was Elvez. Thank and, you. and now we've accomplished it. In our first six months, I, I feel great. Uh, this is <laughs> phenomenal. Thanks again. Super Thank you. fun. Much love. Goodbye, everybody. Have a wonderful Christmas day. ASCF fans, it's producer Eric. On behalf of the Soundcheck Flicks crew, I want to wish you all a happy holidays and a happy new year. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Tim Mays and the Casbah for letting us pursue this fun project. See you all next season.